Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Dope Black Queers podcast, an intentional space for us, by us, which centers our blackness, queerness, and transness because we deserve. And on this week's episode, we're talking about boundaries. Hello and welcome back. Uh, in the studio this week we have me, AID, my pronouns are they, them, and I am wearing a blue gym shorts and an orange jumper. Who else have we got with us this week? Hello, I am Shy One, also known as Molly, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm wearing some grey, like, sweatshorts, if that's a thing, and a black Apron Records t-shirt. And I'm sitting on a rocking chair. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm she, her. I'm wearing a... Um, Chloe Filani, sorry. Um, I'm wearing a denim light blue shirt. Um, and I have my afro hair out. And it's kind of orangey, copper. And yeah, feeling good, feeling happy. Yes. Um... How is everyone this beautiful uh, undisclosed day that we're recording? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. I've just come back from my first workout in like almost two weeks because I had to isolate kind of for a little bit. Actually less than two weeks, maybe 10 days. So I'm feeling good, feeling free um, and feeling fit. Do you notice a difference when you don't work out for that length of time? Um, I've only just gotten back into it. Literally only got back into the gym like six weeks ago or less after like a year and a half out. So mm. I can't really say yet. But definitely like miss just being able to go out and like, you know, spread my legs and that. Go mm. How about you, Chloe? How you been? Um, kind of had a bit of a weird morning. Um... Just, I don't know, just like life stuff, you know, like I'm trying to, I'm still trying to do this whole zine thing and like trying to get funding, figure out what funding I should get. Um, and then, yeah, I was trying to like focus on that. I'm also doing a book club with um, Prim Black. Um, we're going to be on Sky, mm-hmm. which is going to be cute. Um, but yeah, there's loads of books that we have to like free, like really heavy books. Like the book is like quite big. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a lot, but I'm just trying, you know, just trying, smush more. <laughs> Sky is book? in the TV. Station. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sky the TV station, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well. it's not going to be on Sky TV per se, it's going to be like on their Facebook channel, which is odd. Um, mm-hmm. But they do a, a thing like called a book club, Sky events, sort of thing, but yeah. Mm hmm. So yeah, I'm kind of excited, kind of nervous. I won't lie, I'm feeling super like conscious of how I look at the moment because obviously it's going to be like film recorded. So I'm a going there in person mm-hmm. to the studio. Mm-hmm. 
um how do you do you have a way of like uh managing dealing with those feelings i'll be honest exercise exercise face mask drink okay. water um make sure mm-hmm. i'm on my moans <laughs> um mm. yeah eating well like being around like models slash professional and semi-pro whatever like i have like and yeah just like the sort of realities of sort of like womanhood in the like male gaze shit like i can't escape mm. a lot of the bullshit of like look looking a certain way or being more presentable looking a certain way for, especially for the camera as well so like I'm very aware of these things and also I'm very aware of how these things make me feel more comfortable um, mm-hmm. when I have a certain level of like, I guess, it's such a weird thing because it's, it's, it's complicated. It's like, you know, you want to think you're absolutely ab- absent of that shit, but you're not like, well, for me, I don't feel like I'm not like, so yeah. But yeah, exercise and water <laughs> and eating well does actually really mm-hmm. help. Um, no, they are. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? It's um, I what is the phrase I'm looking for? It's gonna go great because it's gonna go great. Because how can it not go great? Chloe's involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the, the thing is though, with, right? the, the two Chloe's. Yeah, no, yeah. The thing is though, the two Chloe's. Chloe ba- so Chloe's this is harsh, but <laughs> Chloe Bailey's not been able to read that much of it because she's got so many of stuff on her plate. So it's relying mm. on me and another person, and like I barely read anything. <laughs> and I know there's not. <laughs> and there's free. Books. I feel like that's the energy. I'm screaming. I, I feel like that's the energy of book clubs. I've never been to one, um, but I feel like it has a very a sense of like we have skimmed over parts of the book. Let's yeah. talk about it. Um, that's intense, especially reading books to deadlines. <sighs> never, can never. What Chloe said. Go. I feel like that might help. Like I think that might actually help me to get through books. Get like, through I've been it. taking my sweet time with Toni Morrison's Jazz now. I haven't really turned the page in weeks. But if I had a deadline, I think it would it would, yeah, would make me better with reading books. But book clubs also, yeah, that pressure of having to read like mm-hmm. you know by a certain date, and if not, it's going to be bait. You can't you mm-hmm. can't wing it. We've had a built up about like two weeks though, so it's like two weeks for three books that are like this size. That's not a lot. Of time. I know. I couldn't. I know. <laughs> I know. Um. I've only just got back into reading after, I don't know, like two, three months of, I've, I started two books and then they've just sat on my bedside table for the last two months. But I had um, like a, a down, a down week, if you will. My mental dipped last week. Um, and so I just, when that happens, I tend to just like distance myself from life in a, this was like a slightly healthy way as opposed to what usually happens. I kind of just like turn my phone off because I found that I was just picking my phone up and clicking on like the apps out of like habit. Um, I was like, this is, I, no one has messaged me anything in the last 20 minutes. I've got nothing to check. So I just turned my phone off. And then with that like space and silence, I was like, let me just pick one of these books up off the shelf that I bought months ago. Um, and yeah, so I've managed to dive into that and read that. Uh, like quite speedily. That's not a word, but we'll go with it. Um, quicker than I usually read. So uh, I'm going to try and keep that momentum going. We'll see. 
What kind of books are they? Like, are you uh, able this... to read like two of the same kinds of books at once, or do you balance it like non-fiction, fiction? I balance it, um, but that was only something I recently, like this year, tried to do of reading a non-fiction and a fiction. Because um, usually the non-fiction books I read are about I don't know race or identity, mm. and then I wanted to pick a fiction book to lighten that shit up, so I wasn't dreading going to read. Um, but yeah, then I was just like, I don't actually want to read anything. So I didn't for a couple months. Mm. But I'm getting back in slowly. Like, this is like a nice, uh, not too, like, difficult, uh, like, uh, subject uh, fiction book to, like, ease me back in. Um, I should say what the book's called, but I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> I'm looking at it, like, let me go get the book, hold on. <laughs> Are you reading anything, Molly? Just still on Toni Morrison's jazz, but I haven't... I have this terrible habit of, like, I'll take it with me almost every day. I'll take it whenever I run a bath. I'll take it with me in the bathroom. Mm. And then I just won't... You know, I just won't actually open it. Oh, damn. Um, And that's... It's been that way for, like, the last... (laughs) Maybe almost, like, four weeks now. I realise actually it also coincides with something. I've been distracted. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a good distraction. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> I mean, I've always got a distraction, but yeah, it's hey. a very good distraction right now. Okay, well, we love so that. So what's the book, Aiden? Uh, Real, Real Life by Brandon Taylor. It's about... Um, uh, without reading the synopsis, it's about like a black gay guy who's on like a science program at a university somewhere in america and but he's just like surrounded by white people mostly straight a few of them also gay but just yeah his way of navigating his sexuality identity in that space especially like in academia as well um but it's like a very it feels james baldwin like in how it like is one in one scene is like they're having sex and the next scene it's unpacking some societal ill i'm just like you go go on with your best self um but yeah it's nice it's a it's a nice book to read i'll give it that um has everyone always like read from like childhood no yeah i'm also i'm a no as well um when did you start reading chloe um or as a habit properly like actually getting a book and reading it like forcefully like that obviously was like you had to do that at school but personally Mm. maybe not till I was like 22 Mm -hmm. um and that was actually or maybe 23 it was um Janet Mock's book Real Defining Realness oh um mm -hmm. um because yeah I guess it is that thing where they say like oh getting into literature you kind of have to have some sort of reflection of oneself well maybe not everyone but like I already had like comic books is reading comic I'm not going to count comic books as reading because comic books was more visual so I was so much more interested in the visual Mm -hmm. so comic books tv shows that is where I did escapism so it's like fantasy superheroes like I escaped in those worlds it was really hard for me to escape Mm -hmm. in literature like it was hard for me to like read something and escape in that. And so literature for me is more interesting when it's trying to reflect a sort of 
idea around a person, a character, um, and like maybe like specifically an upbringing and a lot of the time like real stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, like, like I haven't been able to like even pick up a like fantasy literature book and really get into it because mm-hmm. my mind's like, oh, I want to see these things, <laughs> mm-hmm. or like I want to see these things because like. Even, for example, like, Studio Ghibli is my favourite type of, like, fantasy adventure storytelling. But it's really great because the visual's laid out there for you. So when it now has the conversation around their characters and their personalities, like, the the characters in the film, there is so, like, you can focus in on them whilst also being in this, like, super fantastical imaginary world. But, like, for me in literature, I feel like I'll have to have to like remember I'm in this fantastical magical world whilst also being in the same dialogue with the character that I'm also focused on on this journey maybe I'm overcomplicating it but I don't know yeah (laughs) that's me and why I didn't get into like reading books per se till I was like 23 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um for me why didn't I read well fine dyslexia was always part of it um I always remember sitting down to read a book and be like this is really difficult and everyone else seems to be doing it with no issue so maybe it's me and this is not enjoyable so i'm not gonna do it um but then when i started i think i got into books because i had for i think for college i was gonna do english literature so i bought the books that i needed to um to do the course i then didn't do english literature thank fuck um and then they started what what film's coming out great gatsby the film was coming out and I actually had the book. That was one of the books I had to buy. And I was like, I've heard people for my entire life talk about how the book is better than the film. And I've never been in a place to have read the book before the film came out. So I was like, let me just read the book. And so I can see what it's all about and hopefully become one of those snobbish people who's like, the book's better. Um, and then so from that, I was like, you know what? This isn't too bad. And it was nice watching the film and having more context for some of the things that were happening and then from there I kind of just started reading more fiction and fiction and fiction I think I read like the Hunger Games as the like the films were coming out and then then I started like finding books that were I guess more an exploration of myself Uh, I remember reading Janet Mock's book um, and was like this is the greatest thing ever written that and it that Janet Mock's books reminded me of like um Maya Angelou's book mm. in how easily they read and like and so like connected and joined up the story was but it was like real life experiences quickly um, fully agree and like I love how she sort of writes that sometimes go back and forth within like the story t- storylines of things that's mm-hmm. like oh yeah this thing and like self-reflection is like I think it's such an exciting tool when you're like especially writing about like real life experience and all that stuff Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so then, for someone who has always read, has I don't know your interest in reading changed? Why? Shy? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think I had to go through kind of seasons or phases. Mm-hmm. I think my introduction, like to reading, 
as a child with my mum and stuff was was all like um, fiction, um, you know, like st- like kids books and stuff, mm-hmm. and then like teenage books, which was yeah always always fiction, you know, like Mallory Blackman and that. There was like the yeah. Singer trilogy, and then mm-hmm. all the Harry Potters, and I really got into some crime. I remember there was this crime series books that I found in my school library. So yeah, it was mostly uh, fiction, and then in like my late teens, after school, in college, when I began my hotel phase. Yeah. <laughs> we love a hotel phase. Everyone goes Listen, through it. I've come, to, I've come to embrace and acknowledge that I definitely was an aspiring hotel in my late teens, early 20s. That's, you know, that's, that was what I was on. If you look um, at, like, two years of my tattoos, it's very <laughs> suspect. But yeah. continue. I was a hotel groupie. <laughs> you still got them all. They covered up. I hmm? still have them. Oh, my God. It's like... You really thought I was walking through a, like a um, a pyramid. I'm just like, yeah, I'll take that one and that one. They all have meaning and like make sense and like I could give you like a whole backstory. But yeah, my body looks a bit like a hotepery. But you were saying. Yeah. Um, so then I got into uh, basically just reading loads of black history um, and getting myself angrier and angrier and angrier. And that mm-hmm. was really informative and great but it actually also enraged me and severely impacted my mental health. Mm. Um, and so then I had to take a break for a few, a good few years. I was just like, I can't read anything on black history. I can't read any of this black trauma anymore um, or watch it. And then I came back into, yeah, novels and stuff. And, and it was cool. Yeah. Then got into like James Baldwin and um, I think it was, yeah, just, I don't know, just curiosity going online, just finding stuff. Or when I worked at Paul Smith, uh, they have, like, curiosities, which is really cool. So, like, even this speaker behind me, I've mm-hmm. got, like, this boombox sitting behind me for anyone listening who can't see. Um, and, like, that was on sale there. I got that from there. So they had, like, speakers, sound system stuff, but then books, and they had, like, this classic book selection. Uh, and in it was, like, Giovanni's Room and a few other really important books. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice kind of way to bring me back to black writers that wasn't just trauma and, um, you know, like a really painful history. Do you think? So yeah, and that I think it's a seasonal thing or like with UAID of like balancing and reading one non-fiction and one fiction. So mm-hmm. what you going to say? No, Chloe? I was just thinking like, more on the sort of like black people coming into like their awareness of like the black experience. But then like, yeah. I find it interesting because I found that like, I was somewhat lucky because I had black within understanding, like, the quote-unquote oppression of black bodies and so on and black people, I had, like, black feminism to remind me that there was, like, black sisterhood, black community, black Mm. healing and joy to be amongst whilst also, like, learning the fuckeries of, like, society. Yeah. What, through reading? Well, with you, well, not even just you, but, like, I've heard this quite common, especially like even specifically from men that like they only learn about the trauma. And so they just get heated and they go mad into the hotep energy because it's like (laughs) they haven't learned like black feminism because they only learn black trauma without like Mm. a sort of black (coughs) radical liberatory ideology, which, yes, in many ways is around the idea of the black imaginary, but also you know, niggas couldn't free themselves unless they imagined a possible idea of freedom, so. Mm. 
Yeah, you're, I, I feel you on that. I completely understand how, yeah, with the lack of, I suppose, black feminist writers, it's so easy to just get sucked in and be kind of negatively impacted by reading, like, uh, yeah, basically by not balancing it, you know, just only reading mm. about all the hardships and the oppression and the trauma. And even when I was reading black women writers, or like all the early stuff in my teens, again, it was just all like they're really like bucked up lives mm. like cupcake brown you know piece of cake it was like um ugly it was uh <gasps> my angelou's life story like all the just the really yeah you, it's coming back to you now isn't it is that fine so apparently i told a lie i didn't start reading after college when i got a uh, great gatsby i was in high school and again me who doesn't read my i remember my mom and a lot of my aunts talking about ugly and just mm. it was like it was the thing that everybody was talking about. I, like, I want to read it. They said no. So that was my incentive to find the book and read it anyway. <laughs> and I remember I was in school in like form. My teacher was like, isn't that, why are you reading this book? But that just, that reminds me. That was a Who's book. Who's the writer? That was some fucker. Uh, Constance Briscoe. Okay, I never heard of it. I need to read it. <laughs> well, she's a, a, she's a lawyer. What's a piece of cake? Oh gosh, similar kind of thing. But piece of cake is... Piece of cake is ridiculous. Ugly mm-hmm. is like... Sorry, I'll let you finish talking about ugly and then I'll mention yeah. piece of cake. Um, yeah, Constance Briscoe, she's a lawyer um, or barrister, or she was, um, who kind of just did a... Expose seems like a wrong word to use, but just a, a detailing of her life and the trauma that she endured at the hands of her parents or her mum and her stepfather and I think some of her siblings. Um, yeah, that's that's ugly. Wow. It's very much like the black woman version of was it a boy called it or you know the one of the the little the white boy or white mm-hmm. man. See, I just clearly have I mean to trauma porn or whatever. <laughs> a lot of the books I read earlier just about people who had horrific upbringings. Mm-hmm. Um, but piece of cake is wild because again, awful, awful um, childhood and life and like all the worst hardships. But you're reading the book and it's almost like you know that game when you'd be like okay. You start the story and I'd be like, uh, I'm walking into the woods and then, and then AID is like, and then like a bear comes out and then like, Chloe, it's your turn to think of something. And Chloe would be like, and the, the bear makes you smoke crack. And no uh-huh. lie, this is what piece of cake is like. It just gets wilder and wilder and all the things that you're like, no. Mm. But triumphant ending, um, beautiful. I went to like the book signing when I was at 17 with my mum and like, you know, yeah. she's all right now, but she went through it. But you need to check out a piece of cake. I don't know, as you describe it, I want to. I want to read mm. it. Ooh, yeah. Um, I almost feel like this should be an episode of of books instead of what we are. About, <laughs> but, um, maybe, but we'll come back to. But we'll have to do a whole episode about books. Yeah, a bit more. Um, but we'll take a little break there, and we'll be right back with our episode on boundaries. All right, we're back. So this week we wanted to talk about boundaries um, and all of all of what that involves um, and what I guess the word and its its power means to us. Um, so let's start off um, with: Do you find it easy or difficult uh, setting boundaries, and has that changed over time? Um, I'll go first. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do I find it difficult or easy setting boundaries? 
Or how do you find setting boundaries as a... Well, I guess, like, I'll say my journey. So, Mm. uh, I guess, yeah, so trigger warning, discussing sexual assault, abuse, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it has been very difficult to set them to even know what they were. Um, Like, yeah, being brought up in a, like, immigrant Nigerian family household where punishment was very physical, um, and authority figures had a lot of leeway in what you could do or can't do, or even how your body was treated. So, like, learning, getting into a moment of being, like, a person by yourself. So, like, mm-hmm. taking the bus, taking public transport, like, going home, going to school by myself. Like, that was like, I was like, oh my God, like, shit. Like, I'm an actual, like, person that has to do things without a grown-up guiding me you know I remember Mm. I was terrified um and so that's like the beginning of you becoming like an actualized human being an actualized person for yourself especially when you've come from a very strict household um and I'll say definitely like the first ideas of boundaries came from like being in black family spaces and then talking specifically around um, sexual assault and <laughs> um, sexual assault and um, yeah I kind of realised uh, so yeah this is going to be heavy um, that the first time I had sex was not consensual um, and I was really like in a very real way, like, socialized to give a guy what he wanted. Like, it took me a while to be able to, like, when I said, like, I would say yes to a lot of time of, like, a guy wanting to do things to me, but actually mean no, but because I didn't want the guy to not feel good or to not feel good with me, I would, like, succumb, not even succumb, but, like, and that's difficult, you know, when, you know, when the basics of consent is saying, if she says no, then she doesn't want it. If she says yes, then she, you know, possibly wants sex. So it's like, when someone's actually saying yes, when they actually mean no, like, how's he meant to mm-hmm. know? Like, and so it took me a while to realize that, like, I didn't have to just say yes because I was in his house. I wanted to make him feel good. I want him to be happy with me. I want it to be desired and wanted. Um, so, yeah, like, after, I won't lie, maybe till I was, like, 26, 27, that's when I really started to, like, be like, okay, I'm not really into this or I don't want to do this thing. Um, and also, like, very much, like, real, real set, like, to be so cliché coming into my transness, into my truth, um, mm-hmm. I was able to, like, really define myself as a person, define what I was interested, what I wasn't interested, and not just succumb to whatever people thought I should be interested or what people thought would be, like, better for me or, you know, me. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> sorry to... Hit, hit this heavy so quick but yeah no, bound, no, thank you for sharing boundaries are 
Oh, thanks for listening. Um, but yeah, boundaries are, they're great. And I think we should learn them when we're young. Um, and mm-hmm. I think even with my niece, for example, um, I've been really conscious of like, I'll ask her, can I pick you up? Sometimes she'll say no. And I won't lie, I feel her. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's also teaching me that like, that level of like, you weren't taught that. You were just like, you just had to let people pick you up or hug you or da 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 or tell you to do this, tell you to do that. But like, now you're also giving, like in doing that with her, I'm also learning for myself what it means to just be like, okay, this is not, like, we're not doing this today. But we're still friends or we're still good. But today we're not hugging, we're not, you know, I'm not picking you up kind of that energy Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important for people to learn because it's also an exercise that like I think as well like I think even the idea of when someone else is setting a boundary with you I think I I spoke about this earlier with an episode is that like that doesn't mean that person doesn't want to be friends with you or doesn't want to be in space with you specifically depending on what their boundary is but speaking of (laughs) Okay, so yeah, <laughs> right on key. Um, so yeah, what I was saying, okay. don't come back in the room, please. Go. Oh, please, thank you. This recording is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> she was waiting for her moment. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's a great, like, having, I'm, like, being around children and, like, learning that, like, uh, you don't have access to this person because they're little, you know? And I think that's also mm-hmm. good for your own self and your mental, say, understanding, like, people also don't have access to you. And you can set that. And also you can practice that with so many people in your life um, and understand, like, setting boundaries is not rejection. Setting boundaries doesn't mean, like, someone hates you. Setting boundaries is not, like, ending a relationship or friendship. It's just, like, setting a certain standard of how you want to be approached and respected and loved. Um, And sometimes that doesn't always mean, like, love and respect is going to be, like, every day we're hugging. Some days we're not hugging. And especially even with COVID as well, mm-hmm. I think learning and seeing people do the, oh, do you hug? Like, that's so great because, like, not everyone's a hugger. Mm. I'm a hugger, but, mm-hmm. like, not everyone's a hugger. And even with that, mm. I've been like, okay, that's, that's good. I'm, I, I like the touch, but, like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. Shaiwan, what about you and boundaries? Um, I... I don't think I really knew what boundaries were uh, or that I could set them or that I had an issue with setting them until maybe the last three years. If that, like, I think I've probably set more boundaries um, and the most important ones and been learning to, and this has all been in like me self-defining my catchphrase. I feel like I've mentioned that every podcast. yeah, just through yeah through through this like journey of self definition, it's definitely really been happening um, 
mostly in the last two years or so. Um, yeah, and I've really struggled with it. And again, I think it comes from upbringing. Uh, despite being like, my parents were born here, Caribbean, but they're still, my mum was still pretty strict. And uh, like this thing of authority, not being able to question. Um, yeah, there's a lot to do with like ego as well in there, I think. So setting boundaries has been, yeah, I didn't really realise it was something I could do or something that I needed to do. Um, I found it quite difficult, quite like painful. I realised that I was like a, or I am, or I have been, I'm really trying to shed this, but a people pleaser. Um, and it's also, I, I really think this is something I'd be interested to chat to other people who have like spent most of their working years in retail or hospitality, mm -hmm. but you know, like serving mm -hmm. the public. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but feel like, yeah, the fact that I have been working in retail, like shop floor retail mostly for the past like 14 years, and that that has a lot to do with my like struggles with setting boundaries and um, like this kind of desire, not always consciously to please other people and make them feel comfortable and prioritize their their needs and their, yeah, just like how they feel in a situation um, before even thinking about how it's affecting me. So yeah, it's, it's hard, Bound, like learning to set boundaries is bloody hard. I'm still, I'm still struggling with it. Um, I think it's, I find it really difficult. It's difficult to do in all kinds of relationships. Very difficult, obviously the first place is with family. They're the people who I think are really not gonna understand it because they're gonna be like, what? Uh, I raised you, I did this. Right. Or... I've always had access to you, how dare you? Yeah, yeah. And I instead of instead of setting boundaries, what I used to do with friends and family, and I'm still kind of doing it now, instead of like confronting and setting a boundary or making like demands or whatever, or voicing my needs, um, I'll just bounce. Mm -hmm. I'll just remove myself from the situation, remove myself from the person, you know, limit know. Their, their access to me. I know that one. Yeah, but my therapist is like, it's avoidance. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's um, it's a really hard one. It's been a really difficult one to to grasp and to. I'm getting better at it, and I realize like you have to ruffle, you got to ruffle some feathers. Very that. That's the like, and that's what that's why it's so hard for me to set boundaries because it it mostly involves making people feel uncomfortable. Or Which possibly. goes against the people-pleasing thing that is, like, your programming. Yeah, it pushes right back on that. So there's so much conditioning to unlearn mm -hmm. um, that makes it really difficult and makes it quite a painful and uncomfortable thing for me. And, like, it's just constant difficult conversations. Um, but, I mean, nothing worth having comes easy. So right. just pushing through, you get me? We move. We move. Um, I think I I agree with both of what you've said in terms of uh, the thing with kids, kids and being as an adult being around kids and like so often, like uh, like their parents will be like, okay, give that, give them a hug. Um, and some of the kids are like, I don't want to. Mm. Like even if it's not like a personal, I don't know that person that like that person. It's just like I don't want to. And you, the way the par parents often are like, no, no, give them a hug. It's rude. And it's like. As an adult, I'm hearing some like, no, actually, it's not. Like, 
I remember being a kid and just being like, I actually don't want to give this person who I barely know so often mm. a hug. And it's like, no, just do it. I'm like, no, they don't have to give me a hug. I also don't want the hug from someone who doesn't want to give me a hug. Um, I remember that being like a really big thing around physical boundaries where I was like, we've had this all fucked up and it pushed against the like the programming I had as a kid. Um, but for me and boundaries, largely, um, I don't, I think boundaries for me is, is, well, the way that boundaries have shown up in my life have left being a, less been about uh, negotiating physical boundaries, but more... Uh, I don't know, psychological boundaries, mental boundaries. I don't know what the exact word would be. Mm. But people have always called me very boundaried as a person. I've got a friend who over the last few years is often like commenting on like how boundaried I am. And this is always news to me because I don't do it on purpose. I'm like, a huge part of the boundaries people think I set with them is just trauma. Um, Is partially that bouncing thing or not getting close enough to people to even get to a situation of bouncing. I think that's what people often read as a boundary with me. Mm. Um, but it's also just, I've always like liked my own space and a very happy being over here and content over here. And I think that's always been read as boundaries. Um, Cause I remember the nursery that I went to, they did like a little, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of nurseries do this, but like they do a little log of what this person was like this week. And so many of, like, the the logs, when I go back through them, as, like, AID, obviously that was not what they were writing, but AID was, um, decided to go to the sandpit and play by themselves instead of doing the group colouring activity. Um, and I was like, oh, so I've always been like this. But similar to now and, like, the f- access my family, I guess, sometimes feel that they have or other people feel that they may have, um... I may have lost the train of thought here. But it was always framed as, like, being wrong. Like, I... Uh, I uh, I was ruining the vibe by going off and playing in the sandpit. Yeah. Instead of it being like, no, this person just wanted to do that and it didn't disrupt everyone else from doing what they were doing. So why was this a problem? Um, so I think me and Boundaries, I recognise them retrospectively as opposed to me setting them in the moment. Um... Did it once? I I just was I wanted to like maybe not for saying agree with your friend and that you have boundaries, but like I remember when I first met you at Pussy Palace, like you did not <laughs> want to talk, and it wasn't like you were actually like. Because the thing is, there's a difference of like a shy person, and then a person that's like, if I'm not open, if I'm not ready to receive you, I'm not ready to receive you. I was like, okay, uh-huh. okay. And I think it wasn't until, like, there was one moment that I think I started working at the door at Highbury and Islington. And I think, because mm-hmm. it was essentially the opening night. Because basically I had always seen you when it was busy. So it may not even be that you were mm-hmm. putting a boundary up against me. You were just already, like, in the work mode. So you were not interested in That's meeting right, someone yeah. new. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm. there was an opening night and so it was like just beginning and I think Dan brought me over to your station and was like, oh, this is AID and I was like, oh, hey and then like, you were hey and you were like, oh, you're fab and I was like, oh, thanks and then I was like, yeah, I like you <laughs> and so like, it broke that wall <laughs> that like I thought was like like I never really thought it was super me because mm. again, it was like I kind of 
got you were in a sort of like work mode but like i definitely never never felt like i could just jump over the table like hi my name is chloe nice to meet you <laughs> but like it's cool because i feel mm. like it does set a, I mean, a sort of tone no, and energy true. that someone sort of has to come with you to, with a certain level of respect Mm. but see that's there's never an intention to set those boundaries those boundaries serve me well and like i appreciate most of most of the time i appreciate them and like how it uh protects me maybe um instructs someone to uh communicate with me but i remember when my friend over the last year was like really kind of like picking apart this thing of the boundariedness of me and i'm like when i tell you none of this is going through my head when you know, I'm going out in the world. Which is why I say, like, part of it must just be trauma or, like, whatever mm. thing that has formed me into being the human that I am. Um, a very guarded person would be, like, an appropriate way of describing me, I think. Yeah, it's mad how many things, yeah, that's I suppose, real. like, are, un like, it's unconscious or it's even from repressed, like, a repressed uh, memory mm -hmm. or something, and that is, like, that informs our decision-making and our boundary-creating and stuff. You don't even realise why you're doing it or that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also great because it's like... I guess what... Uh, go on. I'm going to go. No, go, okay. go. I was just going to say, um, I think it's great because it also sets, like... Because I feel like a lot of black queer bodies are seen as accessible. And so, like, with you... I don't think people mm -hmm. come to you thinking like, oh, I'm just going to share all my problems and all my shit and like, and call aid like fabulous and all that. Like, that's just not, that's not the energy. And I feel like that's actually really great because like, I think a lot of queer people do experience a lot of people just dumping their shit on them because it's like, you're almost seen as this like, because like mm -hmm. mummification is so interesting because I think mummification also happens to queer bodies, not just like specifically like black woman per se body as well. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> no, I think there's much of that. And as, like, we always make the joke, like, no trauma is shared, like, the um, trauma shared in, like, the smoking area of a queer club night. But that is very, that is, like, uh, free for all of, 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 of offloading. Um, and there's only a certain amount that each person can take before it perhaps gets too much. And so that's, I guess, then where boundaries is inserted to make that, like, manageable and long-lasting of relationships. Um, so what boundaries are, like, personally important to you? Um, and I think this can, like, parlay into a conversation of collective boundaries, v personal boundaries. And by that, I think I kind of mean, like, I think there are instances where kind of as a collective, as let's say black people, we have a, a generally kind of accepted boundary. Um, but sometimes I feel like it, your, your personal stance or take on that may be quite different. And I always think that's quite interesting how that plays out. But um, are there any like particular boundaries that are important to you? Like, I don't know, making yourself available or hugging or... I think one that's, um, if you don't mind me going in and answering, yeah, yeah. Go is it's more to do with work. Mm -hmm. um, I think I really 
I'd like to think I have a boundary. I'm trying to be better at creating a boundary between um, not being so accessible, like separating my work and my personal. um, And I see it as like kind of a, a respect thing also for like, I think we all experience this in different ways. You know, basically like mates trying to hit you up to do work stuff or, you know, taking the shortcut to hit you up about something. Um, and I think it can be a bit imposing and there needs to be a boundary because it's like you're not always in work mode. So to be hit up through a personal channel or avenue or by, you know, someone you think is coming on a friend tip and it's actually a work favour or they want you to do something for free or whatever, um, that can be quite frustrating and cause some tension. Um, that's definitely a big one for me, like separating, mm. yeah, like the, the work or just having people kind of respect uh, the business side of things and not just hit me up on a personal tip about that. Another boundary is, I think I, this is one thing I've always had and it was, um, but now maybe that's why I'm so free up with my business. But I was very, very private. Uh, so before it was, I don't know if this is really, I'm going off on a tangent, but about my love life and about my private life and about my sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, which really was just closeted. But <laughs> now I'm like, shouting on the rooftop, like, he wants to know who I'm dating. He wants to know what I did last night. <laughs> but I... Um, that gave me a, a great deal of anxiety growing up. And there seems to be a, a total lack of boundary around, like, just with, just in, like, teenage, definitely, like, heterosexual, kind of heteronormative culture. And that everyone's just entitled to your business and to what you're doing and have an expectation. Mm. Um, yeah, and that shit is incredibly anxiety-inducing. And was for me. So I think boundaries, yeah, like respecting people's boundaries of, of kind of like, yeah, their their private life and just not what they don't choose to give you, basically, what they, what they mm-hmm. choose not to tell you. But I've gone off on a tangent. That's not really what I'm, the boundary that I need right now. I'll pass it over to you for a moment, Chloe. <laughs> um, I felt that was not a tangent, but yeah. Um, so personal boundary. So wait, are we asking the collective boundary and personal boundary or just personal um both like uh if there are collective boundaries that are really resonate with you but also personal boundaries i might need to ask you what would you say as collective what is it like a collective boundary uh don't touch my hair oh oh like that's a unanimous thing that non-black people should have set in as a boundary when it comes to interacting with black people now your personal you know opinion or feeling boundary around that could be different yeah but like there are just those kind of like wildly widely accepted you don't do this yeah it's so interesting because yes i actually do have that and i forgot actually when i was talking about um, boundaries and changing so um when i was again when the white juice told me (laughs) i had freedom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when the caucasity said negro catch your freedom by loving up on whiteness mm-hmm. so there used to be this white girl at my uni who would always hug me and just grab my afro but i wasn't like mentally it wasn't registering to me until one day there was an exchange student an asian person and the white girl's like oh go grab 
like get like give like they were like hi uh, Chloe, but also grab the hair. <laughs> and because she said it, I now was like, <laughs> I was like, wait, she has been doing that the whole time, but she'll do it like she'll just touch the backs gently, so it wouldn't feel too mm. like out of place. But now I was like, it has been out of place the whole time. Um, and did she do this every time yeah. she hugged you? That is wild. Like, what are you feeling this time that you didn't feel last time? <laughs> but it's because she was, like, sharing it with someone else that I was able to, like, uh-huh. boom. Um, moment. Um, and also in that, I was working at Lush. And I remember I had my afro. And this white boy, because it was, like, it must have been, like, really, like, I puffed, puffed it down really, really nice and, like, shined it. So it was, like, really glistening. Um mm. And this white boy just went to go put his hand in that imprint, in like almost imprint it. And I remember because I think by that point I must have already listened to Solange "Don't Touch My Hair," so I already had all the mm-hmm. black feminist energy and power and strength. And I turned and I was like, "No!" With the power <laughs> of four, you shall not touch this negress's hair. <laughs> oh Lord, I. I remember feeling so like it shocked people like people were like what the fuck but i was mm. already i was already reading uh, a lot of black feminism black trans feminism and so i was already in a moment of like sometimes you need to fight and that may not be physical but like show your rage because they're always going to think you're an angry black bitch they're always going to think you're an angry buffoon ape whatever so when you keep silencing yourself and keep it quiet and let let them harm you and not speak up, they will continue to harm you. And so I really was like starting to become more somewhat black militant in the way I moved in the world that I was like, I would be very vocal about specifically with white people, with men. It took a while, mm. but <laughs> with uh, white people and them racializing me specifically physically so like you know when they're trying to talk to you or they're disciplining you and they put their hand above you or on your shoulder or on your arm so it almost it's almost like telling you like you are less than whilst also telling you off or like like i'll have a lot of bosses do that and that was always so weird but yeah i remember in that moment precisely with the mm. afro hair touching it was they even like someone took me out for lunch. One of the managers took me out for lunch to be like, I said, like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm perfectly fine. You're the ones who were moving mad. Um, so yeah, I fully agree with the collective. Um, don't touch black people's hair. Even with myself, when I see, when my friend might tell me about their hair or like I see something really nice about someone's hair or the texture, I'll ask them first. Like, luckily with black folks and each other mm-hmm. sometimes we do have a lot more ease with each other touching each other because we get what we're trying to do we're trying to like someone like oh i've been using like avocado in my hair look like feel the texture feel like how like nourished it is or some shit like that so it's like i like i love yeah. that we have that but also i do think even in that we still should also still ask each other because we're still crossing each other's like you know pathways energies and so on and so it's important even yes we are all knowingly back in the moment to still have the uh consent of of asking to touch each other's hair but yeah white people don't ever don't don't touch it um what about for me 
person. I think, well, fine. In complete opposite to the boundaries that we were saying that I have before, uh, when I know someone, like I hold someone dear, I love them a lot, I find that, and I think this comes back to like childhood and family, I have no recourse for setting boundaries there. Um, and so mm. in the last year or two, like that is something I really kind of, I recognise is important for me once and then have tried to like set about, um, yeah, doing something about it. Um, and so like making myself available is definitely a personal boundary that is showing itself to be really important in that I would like, whether or not I needed a, like a break or whether or not I needed anything from myself or from life in the moment, if you know, my mom asked me to do something, I would throw that shit out the window and I'll be there doing it um, with no consideration for like how it will make me feel in the moment after or the week after or whatever. And um, I was, I mean, partly through therapy, I was, you know, it was that when you have those moments of like, okay, well, this is this is an external factor, this is an external factor, this is an external factor. But what can I control? I can, I can control how available I make myself. That was something that showed up as kind of mm. the thing that I have power over. Um, and so now I just recognise it a lot more of um, how available I've made myself in the past, and thus how available people assume I'm, I am. Um, and then, yeah, renegotiating those relationships um, and how people interact around those things has been big for me in terms of personal boundaries. Um, and collective boundaries. I mean, the one that I really thought of was the hair. As like a, as black people, we unanimously have said this. Oh, um, I'll say also the N-word. But I'm sure there's stuff that goes along with queerness and stuff. But yeah, that was the other one. Yeah. And again, that's one of those ones that, like, an individual may have a different opinion. Like, I know there are some black people who are like, well, if we've said it in songs, they can say it in songs. And it's like, okay, for you personally, let them call you nigger. That's your your thing. But as a collective boundary, I think that's something that we've all, like, established of you will find another word or say nothing when niggas in Paris comes on. It's just... Mm. that's what the deal is um, does anyone have anything else to say about boundaries collective or personal before we go to a break I don't know if this is a collective one but I feel like I know a lot of black people that have been asked if they sell drugs by white people Oh yeah, <laughs> but I don't know if that's even really about like what is what would you even like clarify that as like don't assume that look. Well, yeah, I remember. I never realized that was happening. Well, I guess you don't realize stuff's happening until it's happening. But because I've never felt I coded as particularly mask, especially when I was making the effort not to anymore, and I'd still be in a club in like booty shorts. And, like, titties out. And still someone's like, yo, you got... I'm like, how the fuck have you got here? You're standing in my face, me and this eyeliner, and you're asking me if I sell drugs. Now, that's not to discriminate. I could be wearing eyeliner, booty shorts, and have all my titties out and be selling drugs. But I just feel like 
you have done incorrect maths to result in you being here in my yeah. face. But no, that is wild. That one is wild. I want to... So, okay, I was just thinking about, like, collective boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I feel like a boundary is something, really, that is only possible to attempt to enforce in, like, a two-way... Like, in a, in mm-hmm. a relationship, in a mutually consensual... And, you know, both parties want it, you know, whether it's friend or whatever or work or whatever. It's it's a relationship that you've chosen to be in or like, I feel like we only really have that bargaining power to actually ask. And also boundaries are a request. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're more likely to be listened to and respected in, you know, in these one on one or in smaller, um, more personal, interpersonal relationships. But I personally can't see how maybe because I haven't seen it successfully happen. Um, I don't see how collective boundaries is, is, is possible. I can't imagine it. Well, I mean, that is very true in that, like, the actualization of black people setting a boundary of don't touch my hair or you can't say the N-word is the request, but it's not followed through on the other side uh, in, in completely. Um, so, yeah, I guess they're not actualized. But then I get, can that not, is that not the same as some personal boundaries? Like we make the request of individuals or the world to, uh, you know, you could have in your, um, in your bio, uh, only email me your work request, don't DM me. Yeah. And yet you'll have someone in your DM. Just wanted to, just mm. wanted to just say hi. And, uh, is it possible for you to do this for free on the 12th? And that would be expected because we haven't had the conversation yet. Mm. I think sometimes it's a trial and error or whatever. It's not until they've done the wrong thing that you need to establish the boundary, establish or, the boundary. or let them mm. know, introduce them to an existing boundary that you have. Um, but I think also just the idea of a collective boundary, I mean, without hotting up uh, what day we're recording this on, like we've just had uh, a big football final. Yeah. And it didn't come home, y'all. It didn't come home. And again, like right now, the main topic and what we're seeing a lot of conversations are right now online um, is about the horrific racism Mm -hmm. that is being aimed at our black British, like our players Mm. and at black people in general, you know, Mm -hmm. black people are being attacked and such. So, I mean, what is collective boundaries when that's, going on they're like, not respected we're no way near I've, yeah i think collective boundary also i think it's it's speaking on behalf of similar like you're saying there's black people are happy to be called nigger there's black people who have probably i don't know perm their hair and they want some white person to come touch it and tell them how close it is to theirs or whatever like we can't speak the more i've i've like observed some very like disturbing sides of twitter and stuff you know like the uh conservatives the contrarians yeah. who are black uh, mm-hmm. the the transphobes, um, the turfs, all of them. I realise like, well, we don't know like all skin folk is not kin folk. But if anything, you can end up embarrassing yourself nowadays. Not nowadays, always, but trying to speak on behalf of black people or set boundaries on behalf of us because we're really we're all individuals, obviously. But yeah, yeah there are. Yeah, there's yeah, there's just. Yeah. I, I think what kind you of touched on is <laughs> like important i was gonna say what what you're saying is important i think that's 
it's kind of what was in my mind when I was thinking about the idea of collective boundaries because like well in my head they exist or the request has been mm. put out there or the, the the common thing is said amongst this group of people but mm. on an individual basis not always, it's not yeah. something that everyone is on board with for good or worse like uh we can make generalized statements about all these black people. And then you have, like you said, the contrarians who are like, you, we, I don't want to talk for you and you don't talk for me. Like we're very different. Um, And it's that thing of, well, are collective boundaries good, useful, uh, actualized? Um, Chloe, what are you going to say? I was going to say like, I fully hear what you're saying, Mali, but I think it is like what kind of Aiden's kind of also said is that it's like, the collective boundary is kind of like out there in the world, kind of bubbling. It's kind of like, it's it, yeah, it's all kind of known. But it, it, again, as you've also said, it's like the individual may not always go with the collective mm. idea or ideology. Yeah. And so like even mm. I've experienced like a number of non-black men ask me, is it OK to call me the N-word or say the N-word? And that must mean there is a collective idea in the society that they like non-black non-black people understand that they can't say the n-word so they ask each individual black person what their Mm. boundary around that thing so i think yes yeah there is a collective um boundary set with a lot of black folk yeah but it's not always like going to i can't remember the word you said aided AID, but like yeah something around like it's not always going to materialize depending on which individual mm-hmm. black person you're oh, yeah 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 actualized yeah. which individual black person you're talking to yeah yeah. I, yeah I feel you I suppose yeah that is and like I think maybe it's a bit of pessimism um and like just being jaded because you know well, one big collective uh boundary for black people you know around the world is like stop killing us for being black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also see like it being, cause also the, this question kind of came apart, came from existing on Twitter and like mm. so many collective thoughts, quote unquote, are kind of out there and everyone is meant to agree with them unanimously. But at no point is it ever like checked or even attempted to like see whether people personally feel or think these mm. things. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, it's not an issue with social media, but I guess social media highlights it in a particular way of like collectivism being pushed to the fore without, it could, it could literally not be the collect, the quote unquote collective ask of a group of people, but it will be deemed the collective idea of that group. And you're yeah. like, well, how did we get here? Cause no one asked me. Yeah. This doesn't even factor into my life yet. Apparently this is what I think and feel. Um, yeah. Mm. Off my off my soapbox. Or <laughs> uh, we'll take a little break and we'll come back to speak more about boundaries. Cool. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And we are back. Okay, so to finish up this convo about boundaries, I guess we can touch on what happens if and when someone crosses them. So, uh, how, I guess, how do you address that when someone's crossed the boundaries of yours, physical or otherwise? Um, and then what's the, I can't think of a better word, but like aftercare. And I guess the same if you have inadvertently crossed someone else's boundaries. How do you make that okay or better? Um, I'll start with crossing someone's boundaries. I think unintentionally crossing someone's boundaries when I've done that and I've been made aware um, the first thing is to be really ashamed and embarrassed and feel guilty but I've been learning that like it's not about us it's about Mm. them Um, and so I will try to when made aware of crossing someone's boundary uh, genuinely apologise acknowledge that um, you know ask what they would like next or how they'd like me to proceed if they want some space um and and yeah try not to get too much in my feels and make it about me and me having done something wrong and more about like learning and you know respecting this person's wishes and their needs and what was the other part because i answered the second part of the question what was the first part again um instances when you have crossed problems boundaries i guess when well, I mean, I think that answered what I asked. Uh, what do you do when you've crossed someone's boundaries? Or oh. someone has crossed yours? Oh, someone's crossed mine. Okay, so that's when when someone's crossed... When I've crossed someone's. But when someone's crossed mine... Mm, um, I'm still figuring that out. Mm, um, that's real. And again, I think distance is the first thing. Just, I'm still unlearning that. But also, it takes time to process, personally, for me. So mm-hmm. I will have to create distance. Or I will have to withdraw um and process it and figure out how I feel about it um and then figure out how to communicate to that person that's what they did and hopefully let them know before they notice a change in my behavior with them and inquire um Mm -hmm. because I don't think that's quite healthy and that's the best thing to do on my part so yeah, just taking the time to process and then communicating to that that to them. I find that maybe as much as I hate having like serious conversations over WhatsApp or text, I really dislike that. I think everything should be done face to face or at the least on the phone. Um, but to be succinct and not be overwhelmed by emotion and to lose focus of what I want to communicate, uh, then like composing some sort of message to let them understand has mm-hmm. has been the most effective for me, yeah. So that's what that's how I how I operate when my boundary's been crossed and I'm aware of it being crossed. Mm-hmm. Chloe, what about you? Um, so I guess I'll start with the first one. So how do you draw when your boundaries when someone crossed? Um, 
Wait, what is it? How do you draw your... Oh, how do I draw? I guess a lot of the time I don't really know I have a certain boundary unless someone's crossed it. So sometimes I learn mm-hmm. how to set certain boundaries because I might have had a prior previous experience of someone crossing it. So like I used to work the door at a club night called PDA and one of the black gay boys there, he's really cute, does all the, you know, really nice, but he basically outed me to some girl who was like interested in me. And then I asked him like, Oh, have you done that with other people? So like, you know, she, she wasn't going to attack me or anything, this woman, but like, um, I was curious with him because like the club night has an array of different types of people. So there could have been Mandem that came through who might have also asked mm. him the same thing, like, oh, what's Chloe's deal? And then he might have just like, Chloe's trans. And so I told him like, oh, you can't do that. He would be like, oh, but we're all sisters. We're all Kiki. We're all queens. Da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, but this is different. This is different. We're not on the same page. Like, the way mm. people move to you is not the way people move to me. And, like, because I'm somewhat cis-assuming, with, with some men, if they are attracted to me and then find out I'm trans, that might make them freak out because they've been socialized to read trans bodies as non-women and then through that, read that attraction as homosexual and so because they're also taught to be so homophobic like i'm not gonna lie a lot of success men you need to deal even though you say like oh support you support lgbt you need to deal with a lot of your internalized homophobia because <laughs> but yeah like mm-hmm. that will like possibly mm-hmm. turn them violent you know and so like i had to explain to this like guy that like he was just going around essentially spreading my the fact that i was trans at this club that you can't be doing that and I think I didn't know I had to set that boundary because I thought in some capacity, some of the black queer folks, black specifically this black gay man, would know that because he's been around trans women. He watches ballroom. He watches like all the girls and all that shit. He's always calling all the gays and all the lesbians and all the trans people the girls. Like he's always referring to us as the girls. But it's like in reality... We ain't girls because you don't even understand some basic shit of like outing a trans girl. Mm. That's just not how just you just shouldn't be doing that. Um, So, yeah, I would definitely say Mm. like having my boundaries cross allowed me to actually set the boundary, even though I know that's not that healthy as well. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think. Also, having that dialogue with that person allows me to have the dialogue with my friends that may or may not have crossed that boundary, but mm. now they know definitely not to cross that boundary. Um, yeah. And then with myself, mm. when I've crossed people's boundary, I think the same with sort of what um, Miley said, which is the whole like feeling ashamed, feeling guilty. I think that's just the natural response of like knowing you've done some sort of wrong. Um, I've also crossed um, people's boundaries who have not expressed that they have a boundary as well. So that's also been like quite interesting having a sort of similar thing with that um, black gay guy. 
um so yeah like i've crossed someone's boundary when they haven't established something and then now told me oh my god you've crossed this boundary of me and i didn't like that and be like very much like yeah accept that i've done wrong and just like try to i think again what we've finally said is like give give that person space um and maybe try to reconnect in dialogue about especially if you're friends like how can you be better friends to each other how can you like mm. and i think it is like i think it is a boundaries is such a like i think quite a grown-up thing where you're like learning how to be better friends with each other um And also, do you know what, as well, actually, in saying all of this, I have actually crossed a friend's boundary where it was for impo- for an important situation. So, like, kind of, I would say life-threatening, but, like, emotional trauma kind of situation. So, like, I have a friend who she says, I don't like to just be called on a random. So, like, just don't call me randomly. So, text me first so I know that I'm going to get a mm-hmm. phone call from you. But... Mm. I remember there was a point where something bad happened to me, basically. And so I just called her, like, extremely. I would, like, call her more than once. But I guess, I don't know if it is a boundary I crossed per se, but... Yeah, I remember she was busy that day, but she was like, what happened? And I explained to her, and then she was like, okay. It was almost like she was like, okay, there's a reason for you calling me so randomly. (laughs) Um, And not sort of, like, Mm. uh, maintaining Mm -hmm. the sort of, like, way that we do our thing go on good night did she say that that was a crossing of her boundaries no express like after knowing you know like why you had been phoning her so much no maybe it wasn't then i mean we have boundaries but we also have like exceptions and you know like yeah yeah like there's an exception and it sounds like you were like you know you really you needed her it was a like a bit of a crisis or an emergency. So, yeah, sorry. I mean, it's not my place to tell you that you didn't cross a boundary, but <laughs> it sounds like... It sounds like you, you were all right in that situation, considering. But that is the thing with boundaries, like, kind of what you said earlier, Chloe, I can't remember in what the exact relation was, but, like, boundaries aren't black and white, and I think much of our understanding of it sometimes flattens it. Mm. Whereas like oh, there was the no means no and yes means yes, but also yes means no, and yes means I don't know. Yeah, and so like boundaries are, are so far more complex and uh, in the moment sometimes. Um, so it is that constant a uh, checking in and, and dialogue and especially within friendships, I guess you kind of try and do the work and show yourself to be someone who the other person can feel comfortable enough to be like, ooh, that there touched something, you know, in me that... Apparently, this is a boundary. I didn't know until now. Okay, well, how do we how do we incorporate that into our relationship and, you know, work with it? Yeah. Um, also, I would say just on a, like... Um, yeah, not... So with men, and specifically cishet men, I don't know if they really understand... Actually, no... I think they do understand what boundaries are, but I think because of the way a lot of them are taught what sex is for them, mm-hmm. I think they like to cross that barrier a lot, just to put that out there. Mm-hmm. 
people can contend with me on that. But, <laughs> but there's always that, like, straight men know what a boundary is because, you know, let a, a gay dude chirps mm. them and oh you will know what the boundary they, mm-hmm. they will let you know where their boundary is this is not cool and blah 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 so i think it is that it's that they understand what boundaries are in some definition but they have also been taught that it doesn't apply to them in wow. many ways because even like I, I, and that i was gonna say and that other people's boundaries are almost that thing to be to be pushed to be tested to be um, explored or experimented with what are you going okay, to say? Basically that so Michaela Cole mm. her, um, her TV show um, I May yes. Destroy You um, there's a line in it where she's talking about how men, specific some men who are predators, abusers so on whatever actually test that boundary with a lot of women, they keep pushing and pushing and pushing until they can cross it essentially and I think that is that is very hard to like be around as well with like because it's it, it we small things it will be small things so it'll be like i've noticed it like even the terms like nagging like negging or whatever um yeah it's sort of crossing bound it's sort of like a guy would be like i'll like my compliment be like oh you're gorgeous and i'll be like oh thank you and i'm like oh so you think you're gorgeous and it's almost like coming for my sense of self you know and like mm. At first, I thought that was just like, oh, whatever, men are sort of weird like that. But I've now noticed that, like, that is a guy actually trying to see how far he can go with you, in which you still will give him space and time with you. So it's like, yeah, essentially that. Mm. As we were saying this, I can't help but think, I'm, I was going to say this relates to collective boundaries. It doesn't really. But I guess systems of oppression and i'm thinking specifically about this country the uk and the the legislation based like in relation to protesting uh the legislation in relation to how the like the fallout for the windrush scandal also known as trying to kill our grandparents um it feels very much like the government, the uh, power, the people in power, the majority, the oppressor is constantly pressing the boundary of like what they can get away with um, of like, you know, will they will they try and kill us? Well, maybe not that phrasing, but how much can we do before it all blows up in our Ooh. face? Because... The things that are being trying to like pass through Parliament, the things that are the the police are getting away with, that they've always been getting away with, but like it's this: how much can we do in the pub? How much can we do in their face, and not receive any pushback? Thirty-seven billion. How have we ended up here? But thirty-seven billion on a track and trace app. You have not tracked or traced anything, mm. and it's like, well, how much can we get away with? Because Preeti Patel's out here getting her nails done and. There wasn't, like, France, like, Paris, like, burning the streets down. Let's keep pushing the boundaries. I feel you're 100% right, because it's like, Boris Johnson has clearly fucked up as a prime minister, even before, like, you even, not even before, but even if you do not associate the sort of, like, racism, sexism, and so on and so on. Um, Mm -hmm. As an actual prime minister and how he's dealt with this pandemic, like, he's fucked up. Like, other countries are looking at us like, yo. (laughs) 
And so if he was able to get reelected, that will really show, as you said, like, he's literally pushed the buttons. You heard him say he doesn't really care if a thousand or so people died, like a sacrificial lambs or some shit like that. And if he was to re-get, re-get elected, like, that would really be like, yo, Britain really don't give a fuck about what happens to, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. the collective. Because they're so, like, yeah, they allow this government to push and push and push that boundary, as you've said, fully. Um, Can yeah. I just... I know go, go. Yeah, go. I just have one last thing to say, and it... Yeah, it ties in both of them. And I was going to say, like, I think it's really difficult trying to introduce the concept of boundaries to people who are not used to having to adhere to the rules mm-hmm. um, and aren't used to being told like they're used to ha- the entitlement you know the world is theirs um, and then at the same time so that's you know I'm mostly talking about like straight cis het men um, and then uh, I think the thing with like the English and the British over here in this culture. Again, at the same time, though, they, even though the government has been, always has, the monarchy, the government has been always, like, taking the absolute piss out of them and with them. This isn't the first prime minister who's been shit. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all been shit in my lifetime. They've all done awful things. Awful things. Awful, awful things. Um, but what's been interesting to see is the the anti-vaxxers, the anti-maskers, the people fighting for their freedom, because they're not used to being told what they can and can't do, or to an extent. They're mm-hmm. like, everything else is cool, but they'll draw the line at this. Mm. Um, and so that's interesting also seeing like this entitlement and also not being used to, a lot of people are not being used to or don't like the idea of being told what to do or restricted. Um, and so now they're pushing back. And not so much it is a boundary, but well, I suppose they are. They're trying to establish a boundary yeah. right now. A lot of those freedom marches and, you know, those people who uh, protesting lockdowns even once we've been out of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, I suppose they are. It's it's a real shame that I think this is the first time I'm seeing, like, kind of a dissent. Is that the word? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah the first time I'm seeing, like, this kind of mass collective dissent um, especially of like of mostly white, you know, of English English people going mm-hmm. against their government. Mm. But of course, it, the one time it is, it's like they're doing it at the at the flipping compromise and like of a lot of vulnerable people's well being mm. and lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just interesting to do with like uh, trying to trying to establish boundaries of people who are who are not used to being told what they can't do what to they other people. Yeah. And then this attempt at establishing a boundary for the first time, or well, that I'm seeing, that I'm really paying attention to. Wow. Um, that was that was the sermon, Marley. <laughs> that was... Yeah. It really was. <laughs> give, give it to it's, it's also really... Thank you, I'll be passing the plate It's around. also really made me think <laughs> about, like... So you know how, like, people are saying, like, call-out culture or council culture doesn't think about empathy? Mm-hmm. I think we do. Cause I won't even say I am that person, but like I do, like I, I call people in, whatever. I actually don't think what you're talking about is like these people are not empathetic or sympathetic to other people's well beings. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. I read there was something, I need to look it up so I can quote it properly because I've, I've mentioned it the second time this week now. 
and it's there was a line in an article or something but there's like a study and the people who are like anti-maskers anti-vaxxers this and that are like people who lack empathy or have actual diagnoses that don't allow them to really consider or care about other people mm-hmm. i've and, also read or come across like a headline or such that speaks to that as well yeah it's it's, it's just oh gosh I mean, it's really disturbing and it has, like, very, very um, serious repercussions, but it is interesting to observe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, like, yeah. Um, Does anyone have anything they want to touch on about boundaries? Go, Chloe. If someone sets a boundary with you... They don't hate... I said this already, but I think it needs to be reiterated. They don't hate you... If they want to be your friends, they just want you to love them better or be with them better or love on them better. Um, I think everyone needs to hear that. Um, yeah. 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 I think that's really important. And I think that's a really poignant place to finish this episode. So we'll leave you with that. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Dope Black Quiz podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review on Apple, Spotify or whatever else you listen. We'd really want to continue the conversation online. So follow us on all socials at Dope Black Quiz on Facebook, IG and Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. And if you want to write us a letter or ask us a question, email us on dbqpod at gmail.com. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 